1: Good morning Brew Daily Show, I'm Neil Fryman, And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella went God mode to cap off one of the wildest weekends in tech in decades. Then
0: we'll tell you whether Elon's rocket launch in Vegas' F1 race flopped or popped. It's Monday, November 20th, let's ride.
1: Toby, remember Erin Madsen? We talked about her on the show over the summer. She was a superstar field hockey player at UNC who was hired by the Tar Heels right after she graduated, becoming the youngest head coach in D1 college athletics at just 23 years old. Now she is the youngest championship winning coach in D1 history. Over the weekend, Madsen led her team to a double overtime win in the NCAA finals over Northwestern. So if my calculations are correct, she is on pace for Infinity National Championships as a head coach.
0: She's just a born winner. I actually saw highlights of the shootout on my TikTok feed natively. It was electric. So exciting to watch. And I have played field hockey before. They make it look so much easier than when I was playing. It's very hard, very sore glute muscles it's not the back right it
1: it looks it hurts my back when i watch because they're bending over
0: yeah no for me it was the glutes so congrats to aaron though amazing amazing record before we start the show a quick shout out to our sponsor brex neil thanksgiving is right around the corner and i have an idea for some thanksgiving day small talk Why not bring up Brex? I I
1: could see it. Hey, Mom, patch the mashed potatoes. And also, have you considered that Brex automates expense management for efficiency, speed, and accuracy?
0: Sure, Grandpa. I'll save you some gravy, just like Brex saves your team time and money so they can focus on doing what they were hired to do. I don't know. I'd probably invite us over. Me too, Neil. Me too. Check out Brex.com today. Let's get into the show. Neil, forget the Kardashians. Forget the Real Housewives. Silicon Valley Has all the drama you could ever need, and it was on full display this weekend. We almost called for an emergency Saturday podcast because, shockingly, OpenAI's board pushed out co founder and CEO Sam Altman, seemingly completely out of the blue on Friday. When I say out of the blue, I mean it. Not even Microsoft, which invested $13 billion into the company, was notified. But Microsoft wasn't going to sit idly by and let their AI bet get upended like this. And early this morning, Satya Nadella pulled off an absolute business masterstroke. He hired Sam Altman and former OpenAI president Greg Brockman to lead an advanced AI-focused research lab within Microsoft. He did this while also preserving its previous relationship with OpenAI's team, now led by former Twitch CEO Emmett Shearer. We'll see how the market reacts this morning. But this will likely go down as a very, very valuable piece of corporate maneuvering as Microsoft remains in the driver's seat of the AI race with Sam and Greg in tow. Neil, trying to keep up with this news has been wild to say the least. Who came out a winner in all this? Okay, well, Satya Nadella, the CEO of
1: Microsoft, was paid $57 million last year and he earned every penny. This was such a, a remarkable Uno card to play to keep Sam Altman on board. Who knows what it would have happened uh, when the markets opened this morning and Microsoft would be left without, you know, with an open AI, which invested $13 billion in complete disarray without Sam Altman, who is its visionary and its leader, and the person really behind all of the AI boom that we've been seeing this year, because he essentially oversaw the creation of ChatGPT, which has unleashed this craze that has taking over the business world. So I think Nadella comes out on top to make Altman a W-2 employee at your company, even though he's been a founder so many other places. So the ability to... Talk to him and give him the assurances that he'd have independence within a 2.7 trillion dollar company like Microsoft is a, a massive, is a genius bit of corporate maneuvering.
0: Yeah, it happened very early this morning. We woke up to the news and were like, "Saw man!" Like, what a what a play from him. But this whole thing has been very Steve Jobs-esque because the first of all, the tech community 100% rallied around Sam Altman when the news first broke, and everyone was bashing the board's decision, calling it. They're, it's a de-evolutionary uh, process where they're or a degrowth process where they're favoring safety and moving slower over moving fast and breaking things. And so they said it was irresponsible Steve Jobs getting fired by Apple in the in the in the 80s. But then also it was just so confusing trying to keep up to date with everything that was happening. At one point, everyone in the industry was just quote tweeting each other's tweets with heart emojis. And then Sam Altman posted a tweet with the first line that said "I love you all," which 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 if you take the first letters of each word, spells out Ilya, which is the name of a prominent open AI board member who many think was behind his dismissal. So people were really reading in between the lines here and trying to figure out what's going on. That is pretty
1: hardcore. Let's talk about Ilya Sutskever because he is the guy who is seen to have engineered Sam Altman's firing. And there appeared to be a schism at OpenAI. OpenAI was created in 2015 as a nonprofit with the goal of creating safe artificial general intelligence. It was not intended to make money. And then in 2019, Sam Altman said, we need more investment, we need more money here, and took the company in a different direction and went for profit. He burned a lot of bridges, especially with Elon Musk, who was also a co-founder of OpenAI. And so, I guess, bubbling under the surface. No one really knew about this until the firing came play, uh, took place. But there appeared to be a, a major conflict. And this, this reflects a conflict that has been happening all over the AI industry between the camp that says, this is going to destroy humanity one day. We need to take this seriously and take it slow. And then the Sam Altman's of the world where it's like, we we need to say we need to go as fast as possible with ai because it will ultimately save lives and also help us reduce the other existential risks that humanity faces like climate change and whatever so so this conflict within open ai is just a microcosm of the broader conversa- conversation happening around ai right now
0: it it was it did shine a light on open ai's Ridiculous corporate structure because you have a for profit company that is answering to a nonprofit board, and so again that just added a lot of fuel to the fire of the people who' saying that here's a board who have never been founders in their lives like a lot some of them are from academia, so it really fueled those kind of battle lines of the tech community of should we be pursuing growth at all costs or should we do it in a more safer way so so what do you, what do you think happens next year well, I think Sam and Greg go and build what they've always wanted to build under Microsoft's umbrella. I do think OpenAI is going to have a massive, massive talent drain. A lot of people are likely going to follow Sam and Greg to to Microsoft. So I don't think OpenAI will ever be the $80 billion company it was trying to be. It was, it was trying to raise another funding round. Who knows what Sam and Greg will end up building? Probably something similar under Microsoft's steward, um, stewardess. Stewardship. stewardship, stewardship. Thank you, um, but yeah, OpenAI definitely comes out of this the loser, in my opinion, because again, these Sam and Greg were the like the heart and soul of the company. So I think there's or maybe be they're an left exodus. to pursue
1: their original nonprofit dreams of building safer. AI
0: with no with no talent to build it. That's the only issue. So yes, go. Play I think with a your, lot of AI toolbox. researchers
1: may look at the new OpenAI without Sam Altman and say that may be something I'm more interested in. There are a bunch of other startups that are focused on AI safety, like Anthropic. That was former uh, OpenAI people that didn't like the direction of OpenAI as well. So it may not be this valuable company, but they could have influence in the future of AI development. So we'll just have to see. Okay, Argentina is taking a leap into the unknown, and that unknown is a guy who wields a chainsaw named Javier Millet. Mille was elected president last night, culminating a stunning rise to power for someone who has zero political experience. Mille has been called an anarcho-capitalist for his radical libertarian views on the economy, and he's got a set of proposals that are sure to shake things up in Argentina with major spillover effects for the rest of the world. And someone to shake things up is what Argentina wanted, for better or worse. The situation is dreadful there right now, with inflation soaring about 140% and 40% of the population living in poverty. The country's economy hasn't grown in 10 years for only the second time in its history. And Millet's opponent, center-left economy minister Sergio Massa, Argentines saw more of the same failed policies that brought them to this point. So they saw the risk of sticking to the status quo as more risky than going with a guy who was even more of an outsider than Donald Trump was in the United States. The bottom line, Argentina
0: just took a drastic rightward turn because... They have nothing to lose. Yeah, they definitely jumped into the unknown because it's better than what they had. Some of Millet's campaign promises, he's promised to slash public spending. He also promised to dollarize the economy, which means adopting the U.S. dollar instead of the Argentinian peso. He wants to shut down the central bank, cut the number of government ministries from 18 down to 8. That's the chainsaw I was mentioning R- first. He, right. he
1: wielded a chainsaw at these campaign rallies to show he's going to cut public spending by a lot.
0: <laughs> I love the chainsaw is the proper metaphor for that. He His whole rallying cry was to take down the country's political cast, which was kind of the Argentinian version of drain the swamp from Donald Trump. So you can see why there was these parallels between the two. Donald Trump actually tweeted, or he truthed on his true social platform. I am very proud of you. You will turn your country around and make Argentina great again. So again, this is a another kind of microcosm of Uh, kind of in resemblance of Brazil took a rightward turn uh, under uh, Javier Bolsonaro, and now you have melee coming in, so it's a lot of tension potentially between those two countries is bubbling up, but kind of a shock uh, election. It's rate.
1: unclear what he's going to be able to do uh, to dollarize the U.S. economy and also abolish the central bank at the same time. It's not clear whether you can do that. He's also going to be politically weak technically because he doesn't have uh, you know majority in the legislature. So he's not like Joe Biden coming in with Nancy Pelosi and, uh, at his side to be able to ram through a lot of this legislation. So it's unclear how much of what he wants to tackle will be able to get done. But he also has, besides the econo- like the, the nuts and bolts economy stuff, he has very controversial views on social issues. He has called climate
0: change a socialist lie. He's a wild card in every He's sense. He's a wild of, card in every sense. Both economically and, and socially and politically. So, oh my Lord. It, it actually is. I do feel for Argentinians right now because... If you are coming in and saying we're going to dollarize the economy, get rid of the peso, the peso is absolutely cratering in value like this this week going forward because Argentinians are rushing to just shed their pesos. So you feel for a country even though they they have are looking for change in some way, but right now it's definitely a rocky this time week,
1: for them. This week is going to be crazy. Uh, I saw interviews with shop owners and people who sell on e-commerce sites saying, I'm not going to list any of my products because I have no idea what the currency right. is going to do. It's going to fluctuate like crazy. I think the markets are not open today in Argentina, but when they do open, it's going to be wild. We're going to see crazy fluctuations mm-hmm. in government bonds and in their currency as investors try to figure out what this new administration will actually do because it is promised some of the most radical change we've seen in decades in
0: south america okay before we jump into the second half of our show we're going to take a quick break spacex's starship flew in the las vegas grand prix wasn't a total flop those were the two big events over the weekend we had our eye on so let's check in and see how each one went first up the second starship launch attempt was supposed to take 90 minutes and send the rocket to space and back But it only made it about eight minutes before blowing up once again. Elon and co. hailed it as a success, though, because it did technically last longer than the first test flight in August, which also ended up blowing up. The problem back then was the super heavy booster and the Starship itself never separated. This time they did before Starship eventually had another rapid unscheduled assembly. Most importantly, they did not blow the launch pad to smithereens this time around. Again, this is rocket science so you can't make an omelet without blowing up a few rockets in the process. But is an 8 minute flight and a separation between the boosters a success, Neil? Absolutely. I I woke up Saturday morning and I I
1: remember that there was this launch. I was in bed and I opened up the phone and I watched it for like 15 minutes. I get so hype about this. I, I know that there is a debate over whether this was a failure or progress or anything like that. Uh, but I see it as amazing. I mean, watching this Starship go and I, you know, for eight minutes, it's it's really impressive. I like the approach of just you know, obviously I'm not funding it, so I don't have to care about the the money involved, but the, I think the move fast and break things approach is the right way to go about it. So every time this thing lasts longer in the air and I watch all of those 33 Raptor engines firing at the same time, It gives me goosebumps. I I love
0: it. They did all fire at the same time, which was a big problem with the first launch. Some of them weren't firing, so that was a big win for them. Technically, the rocket did make it to space, too. It reached an altitude of over 90 miles above Earth, while the boundary of space starts around 62 miles. Obviously, there's some gray area there. And then the innovation... Yeah, literally. The innovation this time around was this thing called hot staging. It's where the upper stages engines start firing before Starship and, and the super heavy boosters have fully separated this concept isn't new at all they've been using it in nasa since literally the 60s so it is interesting to see them kind of returning to one of the first techniques who's ever used to space to try to get this futuristic massive 400 foot tall rocket up to space and we should remind people why this is
1: important is starship is supposed to be the lunar lander for nasa's artemis mission back to the moon in 2025 and it's expected by spacex to eventually take people to the mars and and deeper space but when you, the, the timeline of this for the moon is 2025, and when you watch this thing explode after eight minutes, you're like, well, you a you're like are like, we really gonna be using <laughs> yeah. this in two years? Like, Can we actually make that much
0: progress where we're really okay with putting humans on this? Yeah, I know. I always think that in the back of my mind, but hopefully they figure it out. Tough week though for Elon in general. I mean, obviously his rocket blew up, but also a bunch of advertisers left X after he interacted with an anti-Semitic tweet. IBM pulled roughly a million dollars in ad spending. Apple, Disney, Warner Bros. Discovery, and Lionsgate followed suit suspending all advertising on the site. So while SpaceX had a relatively successful weekend, it was anything but for X as it's facing another advertising crunch right now. Yeah,
1: Elon has a habit of interacting with anti-Semitic posts on his platform. And this one he endorsed. This one said that uh, the Jewish people have a dialectical hatred of white people. And he said, you have said the actual truth. So it was not... Murky. It was pretty clear what Mm -hmm. he was saying and he denied that he's anti-semitic afterwards. You had people like Bill Ackman and Ron DeSantis coming to his defense. But a lot of this is becoming indefensible because it is a repeated pattern. And you have the CEO of X, Linda Yaccarino, who's coming under a lot of fire from her peers to resign because how can you stand by... What the what the owner of this platform is doing. Uh, So it was reported over the weekend that a bunch of media buyers, uh, a bunch of media executives met with Linda Iaccarino and urged her to resign and say,
0: how can you stand by this? She's been put in such a tough spot at every every corner. So interesting to see how she'll navigate going forward if she resigns or not, or if she tries to court those advertisers back again. Let's now talk F1. The much-anticipated Las Vegas Grand Prix happened, and it went pretty well. After so much hype disgruntled locals in a disastrous Thursday qualifying session, F1 needed a perfect race to save face, and it got pretty close to that. There were a total of 86 overtakes, including one in the last lap in the battle for second place. In the end, Max Verstappen from Red Bull did end up winning like he always does, but the course was fun. The Sphere was doing its Sphere thing, and a night race in Vegas was a spectacle. It seems like F1 is leaving Vegas on a bit of a high right now, but Neil, as our resident F1 realist, how do you think this weekend ended up I'm willing up going? to eat
1: my words. I know uh, on Friday, Kyle and I talked about, we previewed this, and we were pretty down on it, and mm-hmm. I was airing all of my laundry with F1 about how viewership was down and it was off of this covid high that it had been and there were all these complaints about what was going on in Vegas and you know what turned out pretty well I'm willing to I'm willing to change my stance I don't think this generally changes the overall trajectory of it but I think Vegas put itself in a position it's it signed a 10 year deal with F1 so this isn't going anywhere and I think people are leaving on a bit of a high after after watching this race even though I don't think anybody on the east coast watched it because it was at 1 a.m.
0: Yeah, that part was was really bad. Also, some fans have filed a class action lawsuit against F1 after they were kicked out from viewing areas on Thursday night. Remember there was that huge problem with the qualifying session. A a, a valve popped up and made a huge delay. They had to repair the track and then by the time they fixed everything, all the fans had to go home and so they didn't get to watch anything. So, it again it was a rocky weekend to say the least but it was their first time doing this yeah. they have nine more years to to perfect it i do feel so bad for the f1 teams though because they have to be 12 12 time zones to the east in abu dhabi for the final race of the season just five days later so i can't imagine i think our sleep schedule is difficult but can you imagine being an f1 racer and having to reorient your body 12 time zones away the logistics of f1 are very cool i watched a youtube video on it i think
1: three years ago and it was becoming pretty popular i encourage everyone to just type in f1 logistics on youtube and it's all about how they move these their infrastructure from it's truly one of the most global sports because they're competing in everywhere from vegas to australia to the middle east to europe uh to Uh, Latin America. So it is an amazing logistical feat. I encourage everyone to go watch that. Okay, let's head to our winners of the weekend where Toby and I will share two things that had an even better weekend than Satya Nadella. I won the pre-show Frisbee golf round, so I get to go first. And my winner is U.S. Infrastructure. That's because a busy one-mile stretch of I-10 in Los Angeles has reopened for the commute this morning, just nine days after it was closed due to an arson fire, causing all types of traffic headaches. Just last week, Governor Gavin Newsom said it would take up to five weeks to fix the highway, so they repaired it way ahead of the original timeline. And that reminded me of what happened earlier this summer in Philadelphia when I-95 was damaged and the city fixed it in just 12 days also way ahead of schedule. So Toby, I can think of three possible explanations for this. Either America's regained our infrastructure mojo, politicians are getting very savvy about setting a low bar, or the people in power just don't want to give you any more excuses for not coming into the office. (laughs)
0: I think it's a combination of all three. But how do you feel about L.A. beating Philly? Remember how much we celebrated Philly? You're like, wow, what a great infrastructure. And they and they nabbed them by three days here. How do you feel about well, that? Well, I don't
1: know the extent of the <laughs> damage. I've never repaired a highway before. All I know is Philadelphia came together much more as a city oh my than gosh. Los Angeles did. I mean, you had Gritty there. You had the Fanatic. So L- it, it, Philly seemed to have a lot more civic pride than Los Angeles regarding this highway.
0: And I think it reflected
1: the... The supremacy of Philadelphia over Los Angeles.
0: Lots more brotherly love is what you're saying. Gotcha. All right. My winner of the weekend is Casey McIntyre. Casey recently died of ovarian cancer, but before she passed, she did one of the most baller things you can ever imagine. Casey had great health insurance through her company, so was able to fight her cancer debt free, but was well aware of the fact that others weren't so lucky. So she arranged to buy up other people's medical debt, then destroy it after she passed away in a celebration of her life. It turns out this is totally a thing you can do, buy up debt for pennies on the dollar, then work with an organization like RIP Medical Debt, in Casey's case, to wipe it out. As of Saturday, around $200,000 had been donated to RIP Medical Debt in Casey's memory, which would wipe out approximately $20 million of unpaid medical bills. I can't think of a more selfless way to leave your time on Earth, Neil. I also didn't really know that this was a thing that you could do.
1: Me neither. This is crazy, but it seems that her story was she had really good cancer care at Sloan Kettering and looked at other people who were lower income and not a, didn't have insurance and weren't able to co- and saw their medical de- debt ballooning, which is a thing. I mean, there's, uh, I think, $125 million, $195 billion in medical debt total. We talk a lot about student loans, but this is also a massive problem. And she did something, you said baller. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. It is so... Incredible what she did. And you can also look at what what happened. You said, why do we even need this in the first place? The U.S. has the highest healthcare costs in the world. So whenever these stories come out about people being super charitable and generous about helping others pay off their medical bills, you also, oh, it's a time to reflect and say, why, why is this an issue in the first place?
0: Yeah, just think about the decision people with cancer are put in. Should you pay your mortgage that much or make another payment towards your medical bills? Do I want to extend my life for a couple more years or months? Or should I just leave my savings to my my children going forward? So it puts you in an incredibly difficult position. So to do this as kind of your final, she called it a celebration of her life, changing the lives of so many other people. I would highly encourage everyone to check out RIP Medical Debt because you can go and donate to Casey's cause and also to anyone else's cause there. So just an incredible organization and an incredible story. That's my winner of the weekend. I checked this. I checked last night and it was over $300,000, right, well over
1: $300,000. So that's equivalent to $30 million. Okay, let's head to our week ahead where the only thing that really matters is Thanksgiving. So let's start there with some data on Thanksgiving travel. It's going to be a record setting holiday for airlines. Airport, Ports are expecting to screen 30 million passengers between November 17th and the 29th, the most ever. The Sunday after Thanksgiving will be the busiest of any day with 2.9 million very full passengers returning from their travels. The good news... Prices are cheaper even than pre-COVID times. Thanksgiving flight deals averaged $248 for domestic round trips compared to 271 last year and $276 before the pandemic in 2019. What inflation?
0: Oh my gosh. I always see these stats and I always feel the pain of seeing the, the, the flights home. So I feel like someone is getting the good prices, but it's definitely not going home to, to Florida for sure. And so, yeah, I feel like we do always see these... It's going to be a travel apocalypse. It's going to be bad but I don't want to jinx it this year. You're taking a train, I'm taking a plane, so you're you're totally fine to, to go home on your train, but Maybe. something always gets messed
1: up on the on the plane. Well, you're the only person who's like Amtrak is great and <laughs> always on time. You've never you don't take trains up and down That's the Northeast true. Corridor. You don't know true. what it's like. Overall it's pretty good and I've had generally great experiences. Okay, it's not gonna be a fun day at Citigroup HQ. The company is expected to launch its biggest overhaul in almost two decades. The restructuring called Project Bora Bora will ultimately result in thousands of jobs being cut. CEO Jane Frazier said this isn't all about cost cutting, but also fixing the company's quote, matrix management structure. Citi is the banking sector's worst performing stock. So she's looking for ways to juice that
0: share price. Neil, what would you name your massive restructuring project? Uh, I have one, I have one. I'd probably resign before I had to do that because I'm a wimp. Get this though, I'd name it Project Athena because she was born out of Zeus's head What is a restructuring project, if not a new birth from the head of a CEO? Project Phoenix, maybe. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. In the
1: earnings world, it's a shortened holiday week, but there are some major reports on the way. Expectations are sky high, as always, for NVIDIA, the tech giant at the forefront of the AI gold rush. Then you also have a bunch of retailers reporting like Kohl's, Nordstrom, Lowe's, and Best Buy.
0: We've talked all about Microsoft. We talked all about OpenAI. I feel like we've forgotten about NVIDIA a little bit. So I still think that they are going to crush, despite kind of the fears around the China chip crackdown, so I don't know. We, we've we gotten so wrapped up in these other companies, we forget NVIDIA is still absolutely crushing it. A
1: little more tea from the Sam Altman story is that he had reportedly gone to the Middle East to raise billions of dollars from the biggest investors in the world, uh, like the Saudi Sovereign Fund, for a chip-making company that would take on NVIDIA.
0: So much drama. So
1: I wonder if he's talking with Satya and he's like, hey, I'll work for you, but it's okay if I pursue this thing? Yeah. That was probably a part of it. Uh, and then if you're not into football, there's still plenty to watch. This week, including the Squid Game reality show coming to Netflix on Wednesday. On this show, contestants will compete for 4.56 million in prizes in contests that should have much lower stakes compared to the original series. Also on Wednesday, Napoleon hits theaters, directed by Ridley Scott and starring Joaquin Phoenix. I think Napoleon is some men's Roman empire.
0: It's not mine though, Neil. It's so gray. Everything, every trailer I've seen is so gray. The color coding to me is just a little off. Let's put some color back in movies. Come on on Ridley. I'm very excited. I love a good historical epic. The best quote
1: from this was Ridley Scott, the director. He shot a scene where Napoleon shot cannons uh, at the the pyramids, and he was asked, did this happen? And he goes, I don't know if he did that, but it was a fast way of saying he took Egypt. So there's a peek behind the screen of the filmmaking (laughs) process. All right, we have to end it there and let you get a start to your day. Hope it's a great one. T minus three days until Thanksgiving. You can direct all of your questions, comments, concerns, and unhinged rants to Morning Brew Daily at morningbrew.com. We'll be ready. Let's roll the credits. Emily Milliron is our editor and producer. Samantha Velas is our associate producer. Yuchenua Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. I've received an update from Hair and Makeup about their Vegas weekend. They lost 2K on a single poker hand at the Bellagio. Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production
0: of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow.